Hello, everybody. My name is Casey Lee, and this is me talking to people. Good afternoon, everybody. And that really is in the afternoon. A lot of my podcasts are recorded at random parts in the day, but this one, we are in the afternoon. It is August 7th, 2019. The episodes that I'm recording are definitely catching up with when they're being released, which means I'm not really disciplined in booking as many guests as I was in the beginning. But today we do have a great guest. I'm very excited about this. A little bit nervous. I'm, I'm very intimidated by this guy, but we'll get to him in a second. One thing I want to mention before we get into this, though, is that... I, I didn't realize that a couple months ago, um, Walmart actually had this exclusive toy that came out, which is basically a reissue of the Generation 1 Transformers. Now, I am 37 years old, so normally, you know, I shouldn't get excited about toys that are coming out in Walmart. But the th- reality is these are the toys that I grew up with. These are the original Generation 1 Transformers, and Walmart has these reissues, and they look Great. I got really excited. Uh, I, I watched some YouTube videos. I didn't realize, again, they had come out months ago. So this, is, this isn't this is something new. Actually, maybe even over a year ago. Um, but if you get the chance, if you are a Transformers fan, definitely check that out. Um, I, I want to give a shout out to uh, all the podcast listeners. Uh, the, the traction has been great. We've almost gotten a thousand listens to the various episodes. We have almost 50 subscribers. Uh, the audience is growing, getting some great feedback. I've even been approached by some people about interviewing them, and I'm very excited about that. I don't want to reveal who yet because I I, th- I think I'd rather save that for the actual recording of the episode. But uh, thank you, everybody who supported the podcast up until now. It's been a very, very rewarding for myself. And Hopefully, it's been rewarding for you guys to listen to. Uh, you know, send me your feedback. Let me know what you guys want to hear. If there's any guests that you guys want to want me to pursue, uh, def- definitely let me know. But that is not why we're here today. Today, we are here for my guest. Now, if you live in Ottawa or you grew up in Ottawa or spent any significant time in Ottawa, chances are you've seen this man's influence um, from all the businesses that he's founded. I remember when I first got to know this guy and he was doing a presentation about his new business at the time and he threw up a slide about all the businesses that he had started and I was like, what the hell? I was like mind-blowing how many businesses he started. Now, I've lived in Ottawa for a pretty long time. I moved to Ottawa in 2001. I grew up in a small town of Pembroke, Ontario, moved here in 2001, spent a long time, and I was visiting a lot of his businesses without, without even realizing it. Uh, you know, things like, you know, uh, Monster Halloween, Cody Party Rental, among some others. Um, and a few years ago, um, probably in the neighborhood of five, six years ago, and then even before that, because this is before I knew him, uh, he decided to get into the software side of things. You know, he had been running a lot of, uh, you know, traditional businesses, retail businesses, and he decided to, you know, you know, dip his toes in the water of software. I don't know what kind of metaphor that is, but uh, he decided to do that. And today he is serving as the founder and CEO of two very big companies. It is crazy to watch these companies grow. I remember when I first met this guy, I was sitting in front of him in the Elspark offices, just, you know, in front of each other, uh, again, not realizing all the things that he had done. And I would see his team grow and grow and grow. And within weeks, there were like 30 people in the office making phone calls on behalf of the Better Software Company. Uh, It was crazy. There's just so much to talk about and so much to learn from this guy. And I've already learned a lot from him. Um, But I'd like to introduce my guest, Steve Cody. Hi, Casey. Thank you you very much. How you doing? How you feeling? Oh, really good. Yeah. Fantastic. I feel like you're not a stranger to being interviewed. I feel like you've you've done this circuit a little bit. Yeah, but this is a really good setup. (laughs) I feel like a pro. So Steve, I mean, you, I mean, we're sitting again in the, in the depths of Canada right now and you are running, uh, effectively two businesses side by side. Yeah. Yeah. How's that going for you? I mean, what's, I mean, you, we talked a little bit before the podcast and you said it's a lot busier than you thought. I mean, what, what did you mean by that? Like, uh, so we have Better Software and Ruckify. So the, the two companies under the same roof. Uh, the two companies will actually become one uh, at some point early next year. Uh, but right now they're, they're, they're very much run independently going after two different customer groups. Um, yeah, I mean, for myself personally, I think it's probably a good thing to run two companies because it kind of forces you to be more strategic and let people run the business because you really don't have time to run two companies. Right, right. Um, so I, I find myself 
you know, just more sitting back thinking about things and, and more about strategy than actually kind of getting into the weeds and doing things. I definitely sympathize with that. I remember very recently um, we had to do a shoot and I was just so like stressed and busy with everything that had to happen that I had no other choice but to let my employees kind of roam free and do their own thing, right? Yeah. Is that something that, I mean, is that something that has always been a part of you? I mean, is that hard for you to let go of that control and, and doing that stuff? Uh, like, I mean, I ran three different companies at the same time before. Um, I think probably, you know, if I went back then, so it'd be Cody Party, Monster Halloween, Cody Mobile. Uh, so three very different companies. Um, I, I think we didn't have the infrastructure at the time that we do right now. So I learned from that. And uh, so now we have more infrastructure in terms of, uh, I think, people, just people that, that can kind of take us to the next level, right. uh, people that can grow in their positions. Uh, so I think very, very fortunate for that right now. Right, right. Um, you know, talking about your old businesses, I mean, that is one of the things that we do talk about a lot on this podcast, which is kind of, again, and we mentioned this origin stories. And, and uh, I mean, what I love about you know, this interview and why I'm excited about this interview is, you know, we got to know each other a little bit through Spark. You know, yeah. we haven't seen each other in a little while, but we've been kind of following each other. Yep. Um, but the reality is I don't really know you. I don't really know your life story before all this <laughs> happened. Um, where, so where are you from originally? Uh, so from Ottawa, uh, grew up with a, with a single mom. And uh, so we, you know, she was, uh, she cleaned houses for a living. Yeah. So we lived in all the different tough neighborhoods and we moved around a lot when I was young. So yeah. yeah so big, big family, pretty, brothers and sisters. And no, uh, one other sister. Okay. Yeah. 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 So you grew up in Ottawa, born and raised. Um, I won't, I won't be as rude to ask you specifically what year you were born in. <laughs> 68. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, so, so you, you basically spent all your time in Ottawa. So like, it, like, what is, I mean, is that, what was that like? I mean, do you really like Ottawa and you're really, I mean, you seem grounded here, right? Yeah. Like, I, I, I love Ottawa. I mean, you know, when I was young, we, well, we lived in Elmer, we lived with, you know, Vanier, Deborah, like kind of everywhere. So, so I've seen all of Ottawa. Um, but I, I definitely appreciate Ottawa. I, it feels really comfortable. There's a lot of good people. It's clean. It's safe. Um, multicultural, you know, there's just a lot of really good things. Yeah. So. I mean, you, you definitely are probably no stranger to traveling and pitching and, and doing all this stuff. Um, did you ever have any notion of, of starting businesses in other cities? Like, or was really Ottawa the way to go? So we are like, we, so we've had businesses that have been in other cities okay. and today we're in other cities. Uh, but our head office is, is Ottawa. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And I have, I would have no aspirations of moving to another city. Right. I just, you know, you have to, I think defining what is success, success is not necessarily money. Success is, comes in other forms. For me, part of success is living where I want to live. That's awesome. So. That's awesome. And it's great, you know, it's great to see what's been happening with Ottawa recently. Oh, it's like, amazing. Yeah. You know, like some of the tech companies that are, you know, some of the success stars that are coming out. I mean, not to mention your own, right? Like yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I remember you posting a, a LinkedIn post or something and somebody was talking, I think it was like an Uber driver or something like that and say, I'm living the shared economy and he's yeah. like, Uber, you know, da, 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 Airbnb. And then he mentioned Rockify. Yeah, that is pretty cool. <laughs> it's crazy, right? Yeah, we've had lots of those. It's really good. Yeah. I mean, I definitely want to get into a little bit about what drives you in that, but um, I, I kind of want to go back to, you know, you growing up. So uh, you, you grew up in Ottawa and, um, you know, I read somewhere, um, you know, so that you actually didn't finish high school yeah so right. basically grade 10 so very dyslexic and uh, didn't realize it at the time it wasn't kind of a big thing back then uh, so I had trouble in school uh, my grandfather had uh, saved ten dollars a month so he'd go to the bank or I'd go to the bank with him every month we'd put ten dollars in and that by that time that had amounted to about twelve hundred dollars right and uh, so I remember kind of going to him I had met this guy that, and I kind of said, what do you do? And he said, he cleaned windows and, you know, he was really busy. And I'm like, well, what do you mean you clean windows? So kind of got a little bit of that. And I said, well, you know, maybe that's something I can do. So uh, I asked my grandfather, I said, look, I said, I, you know, school's not for me. Um, do you mind if I take the $1,200 and kind of buy what I need, which is, at, you know, in effect, you need a ladder, a squeegee and a bucket and uh, start a window cleaning company. And that's literally what I did. That's crazy. I mean, like, 
was this literally somebody you saw on the street cleaning windows or like how no, did you? No, no, I, I met him. It was at a party. A guy named, I still remember his name. His name was John. Yeah. So he was a, a professional window cleaner. Wow. And like to me, before that conversation, I didn't even know there was such a thing as a window cleaner. Yeah, right. So that was kind of, you know, just, oh, you mean people pay you money to clean their windows? That's crazy. Right, so, right. <laughs> that's, so, that's crazy. And, 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 you know, I wonder, like, you know, at that time, again, when you were in high school, I mean, was it, was it a pretty clear decision that it just wasn't working out for you? I mean, was there pressure to stay in and to kind of finish it or anything? Or? No, no, like from my mom's, my mom was, she was just a huge believer in whatever I could do. So, you know, it, it, it did not matter to her as yeah. long as I was doing kind of what I was comfortable doing. Yeah. Um, you know, I grew up watching her make her own living cleaning houses. So for me, I think that was just, you know, to the thought of going to work for somebody else or going to work for a big corporation, that I don't even know that that seemed realistic. Yeah. It just wasn't part of my, I didn't see any, like I, I, I didn't know anybody who did that. Right. Didn't really see it. So, you right. Know. No, that's, that's amazing. Like, cause I think, and it's amazing to have that kind of support, right? Because I think, oh, you know, there, there is a lot of pressure to go the traditional route, right? Yeah. Like, like traditional education, you know, and get a nine to five job and do all this. Well, right? it was, I mean, we have uh, our son, Darren, when we were building, starting to build better software, and I could sense it was going to be quite a ride, and, and I'd be learning a lot. And I remember he had enrolled into Algonquin. And uh, I remember telling my wife, I think we should take him out of school and have him come and work for the company. He'll learn a lot more. Wow. That was not a good conversation. But eventually, my wife agreed. And uh, so Darren left school, came, and, uh, you know, I think uh, I, I think he's learned a lot. And, it, I mean, I'm... The funny thing is, is I was asked to be on the entre entrepreneurship advisory board at Algonquin. Oh. So I remember when I had to introduce myself, <laughs> I said, well, I said, I said, I don't think I'll ever be your poster child. Because I said, I left school in grade 10 and I just took one of uh, your kids out of the program. <laughs> so anyways, <laughs> so that was, uh, it's a great program. And I'm not, I think school is, I'm, I would never say school is not a good idea. Our youngest daughter is in university. She wants to be a lawyer. Wow. I think, I think schools, school education gives you opportunities, right? right? So it gives you choices. And if you don't know what you want to do, you know, go to school and you'll have more choices. Right, right, right. And I mean, for you, I mean, like you said, you you were having trouble in high school. And so you didn't really have that luxury of choice of necessarily, you know, like finishing high school and doing those choices or whatever, because, you know, it just wasn't working out for you. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. And it was like, you kind of have to, you know, you have to earn. We didn't have a lot of money. So if yeah. I wanted anything, I had to go earn it. Right, so right, right. that was a way of earning money. I mean, you mentioned this a little bit about your mother, you know, you know, kind of being her own boss and kind of, you know, cleaning houses. Is that, do you think where the entrepreneurial bug really came from or started? Because I, I can't, I can't, it's amazing to talk to people who have had very different walks of life than me. And I, I cannot imagine in grade 10, you know, much less now, even like starting my own thing, right? Starting my own business. I mean, did you think of it as starting a business no. or was it more just you needed to make yeah, a living? Yeah, like it was not. I, entrepreneur, I probably didn't even know the word. Yeah. I just wanted to go make some money. Right, right. So and that was window, window washing. There was a guy that told me that he would clean people's windows and they would pay him money. So right. that was perfect for me. So you met this guy, you have $1,200. Yep. You approach your grandfather about, can I take the $1,200? Yep. Was your, was your grandfather on board? Like, just let's do yeah, it. Yeah, my grandmother was there. So she kind of had to talk him into it, but he was okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah he understood. Yeah. And then, and then this is one of the questions I have for you, like written down here, because it seems like you have spanned a lot of different types of businesses, right? Like, like between, you know, party rental and then like the Bobcat dealership and, and now into software and then not even like, like better software is kind of very different than Ruckify in terms of like marketplace yeah. versus direct to, to uh, business. So let's, let's rewind back to when you're starting the window washing career. Did you know what you were doing? Like, did, like how did, how did you go about figuring out what you needed to do? I, I like, I literally had no clue. So, you know, no clue how to record it, how to pay taxes, uh, how to hire people. You know, I remember like you're, you're very young, right? So now you've got to hire people that are older than you. So how does right. that work? Uh, you know, the one thing I figured out pretty quickly was I'm scared of heights. Right. So that's a problem. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Fair. 
<laughs> so, you know, but that was a problem, but also a good thing because that forced me to hire people because I, I, I couldn't do the work. I was too scared to do the work. So, like, so did you start as a one-man operation? Or, yeah, or? start one-man operation. Okay. Then I, I got somebody I knew that came with me when I got busy enough. And you're literally just going down the street with a ladder. You're knocking on doors and you're saying, can I clean your windows? And uh, it kind of, you know, and then you, you end up with, they'll tell somebody else or it's repeat business. And so you learn... You know, out of a lot of businesses I've done, I think I learned a lot cleaning windows. So I learned a lot about, you know, selling, learned a lot about, you know, if you do a good job, people will call you back. So that means you're not selling as much. Uh, so kind of building that repeat business. Um, and then, you know, we, we just took the business and eventually we grew into doing commercial work. So we got away from doing residential. Uh, probably had the business, I'm guessing, about eight years. So, so, I mean, how long, I mean, how long, like roughly between before you like say you started a one man operation to the point where you're actually like hiring people, like how long did that take? Not long, like probably a month. What? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And, and it was just hard work door to door sales. Yeah. Like. Yeah. And it was really hard because I mean, you do flyers, right? You drop flyers at the houses you didn't knock at. And yeah. Yeah. What did you, what did you spend the $1,200 on initially? Well, I, I literally, I needed a ladder. I needed, uh, I don't, I didn't buy a bucket because my grandmother had the bucket, but yeah. you have to go buy, you know, like professional, uh, a chamois, which is like a leather cloth, yeah. uh, applicators to clean the windows, different size squeegees, scrapers. And you didn't, you didn't know any of that stuff. Going no, on. no, I didn't even know. No, it was like, <laughs> where that, you know, where do you buy this stuff? So you, it was a guy who was in Bell's Corners. So, and he sold it out of his basement. So then he's teaching me how everything works. And right. Yeah. Cause the guy, I literally had to learn on my own and there was no YouTube back then. So yeah. you just kind of figured it out. But I think it's, it's one of the things that I've noticed about you, Steve, that, that I very much respect about you. Like when, when we first met Nelspark, um, again, you, you were this prolific, you know, uh, entrepreneur who had started so many businesses and knew a lot. But when you came into Elspark, you treated everybody else as somebody you can learn from. Right. Like I, I, I'm, I remember being like, this is Steve Cody. I, I, first of all, I didn't know who you were. And then I Googled <laughs> it. I was like, Oh wow. And you were like even treating me who had, who was again, a you know, early 30 year old starting a small business, but you, you still treated everyone around you as, as, as someone you can learn from. Right. And it sounds like in those early days when you're even figuring out how to clean windows, you were leveraging that like, like huge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe, maybe that is from lack of education, right? So you kind of have to figure things out on your own. There's nobody maybe not having a father or, you know, just not being from that world. Anything you get, you've earned and you've learned. Right. So you're learning it from other people. I mean, it's, it also sounds like though, but that, that you're not afraid to admit that you don't know certain things, right? Cause I feel like a lot of people do. I mean, I myself get very egotistical and I'm like, you know, I know everything and it, it, it takes me a little time to get into a learning mode where I really want to sit down with somebody and learn from them. Right. Yeah. But it seems like you're always in that mode that you're always trying to learn from people. Is that, is that true or? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't consciously think of it, but I'm, I'm very curious. I love to see when we started uh, Cody party. So party rental business, something I knew nothing about because you're, you're cleaning dishes, chair, like there's just, you know, cleaning linen. And I can remember saying to my wife, well, I want to go to Toronto and Montreal to kind of look at those party stores and see what they do. And I remember, you know, I'd go in the back door and walk around in the warehouse while these places were open and she'd oh. be just in the car kind of in a panic. Oh, no oh one, you mean no one let you in? No, no, no. <laughs> I, I just go in and I ask questions. So you go over to the dishwasher and you ask the dishwasher, like, you know, how do you do things? Because it's kind of a, you know, That's sometimes amazing. if you go in the front door, people won't allow you in. So anyways, eventually pretty much you get thrown out. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we we drive every year, we drive to Florida with the kids and we'd stop at all the party stores or whatever it was, you know, or even a, even a Starbucks. We'd stop and as a family, we would stop and we would talk about it, the Starbucks. And I'd ask, you know, the the person behind the desk for the green book so we could all study it kind of wow. on the on the on the drive. And anyways, it was just, yeah, I think I, I think it's the the process. We were talking earlier. You were talking about kind of how you know you're changing yourself into you're really enjoying the process of growing a business as opposed to the the craft yeah, itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I, I, for some reason, I don't know that I've ever enjoyed it. Like I never, you know, I party rentals. I don't really enjoy party rentals. I, I definitely didn't enjoy window cleaning. Didn't enjoy Bobcat. So I didn't often enjoy kind of the end thing. I always enjoyed building the business. Right, right, right. So, or 
the opportunity that it that it gave others. Like right. those were kind of the two things that I seem to really enjoy. I mean, that, I mean, it's interesting that you you mention uh, you know not necessarily specifically being interested in like, like party rental and stuff like that. I'm curious at what point. I mean, you obviously were growing you know the the window cleaning business, and like you said, you started doing commercial and you're hiring people and running that business. Um, you know, when I think most of a lot of people, um, especially when they don't think about uh, the word entrepreneur, they're just kind of doing what they can. I think a lot of people probably think in their lifetime they'll start one business, grow it, and that'll be their thing, right? Yeah. But what was it in you that while you were running, you know, the 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 window business that you decided that you wanted to start other businesses? Uh, it was not never, especially early on, definitely never like a conscious decision. So we're in the window cleaning business. We have to rent swing stages. So the machines that come down the side of buildings. So I remember I did that a couple of times and I was giving somebody else money and I said, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Maybe I should buy the machines and I could rent them out. Right. So that's, so that's how I got into the swing stage rental business. Right. Uh, Then we're in that business and you know, you start needing scaffolding for the sidewalks and all that. And then, uh, there was a big job at the time. It was the Cattle Castle, which was the biggest construction project in town. And uh, I remember there was a tender to do all this, to wrap this building with scaffolding. Massive job. So I said to one of the guys on the team, I said, well, maybe we should bid on it. We had no clue what we were doing. <laughs> anyway, so we, we, we bid on it and we got the job. Wow. But we didn't own any scaffolding. And this year, our job was to actually rent scaffolding. Right. So then I had to go to our two competitors. They had also bid on the job. And uh, tell them, look, you know, I need to subrent scaffolding from you because I don't own any, but we got this job. And I can remember both of them like, what are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> you got that? <laughs> Anyways, I didn't, uh, you know. So, so we ended up getting the scaffolding from one of our competitors at a reduced rate so we could make some spread. And then we made some money on the labor and, you know, that kind of. That's how we got into the scaffolding business. So it really was just kind of these organic needs that that arose. But, I, but you know, it's interesting, though. I, th- I feel like I feel like it's not just the need. It's also your uh, – it's almost like your insight to realize that you could also make money off that need. Right? Probably maybe more irritation in terms of giving somebody else some money. Right. Yeah, and saying, well, like, why can't I do that? Right. So – You know, I, I do feel like, uh, you know, a lot of people that I do talk to who start, you know, businesses and and, and – I mean, more than just businesses who run initiatives, there is that frustration or, or, um, you know, not, not quite anger, but like, just like that frustration is a good motivator, right. To kind of do something new. Right. Yeah. So you, you then got into the scaffolding business. Um, you know, all these things are happening. What, what other businesses kind of came? I mean, I know there's a lot. Yeah. The, so then we were in the scaffolding business, um, in, in the scaffolding business, you end up renting out booms and scissor lifts or needing those, like they become part of kind of the offering, I guess. So we were sub-renting, so we would rent from a competitor and re, you know, re-rent these booms and scissor lifts, so the machines that go up 60 feet, 80 feet in the air, kind of, so with a man in, at the top, and uh, eventually just thought, you know, we should get into that business. So, and we started buying uh, lifts and whatnot, and uh, by that time, we were kind of running out of room. I was driving down Belfast. I saw this uh, building for sale. It was, I think, well, it was an old Toy World building. It was for sale. It was a million dollars. I remember $999,000 and I uh, had a partner at the time. And I remember going back and I, his name was Jack. And I said, Jack, I said, I think we should buy this building. It was 20,000 square feet, four acres. And he's like, well, how much is it? And I said, well, it's a million bucks. He says, well, we don't even have close to a million bucks. I said, yeah, yeah but we'll offer like a lot less. And he said, well, how are we even going to get that money? I said, well, we'll sell the window cleaning company. Oh. He said, well, nobody will ever buy the window cleaning company because it's kind of just contracts. Yeah. So then I called one competitor and I told him the other competitor was thinking of buying it and kind of did the other thing and, <laughs> you know, called the other guy. And uh, so anyways, <laughs> one of uh, one of our competitors ended up literally had a deal done by the end of the day. So, wow. so then that was... Uh, I'm going to guess about $400,000, but that was a long time ago. So that was, you know, that was pretty good. So did now, you, did you know how, was that the first business you sold? Yeah. How, did you know how to sell? I, no. I mean, I still no to clue. this day do not understand how to value a company and how to sell yeah. it. Like I, I, I just told the guy, look, here's how much, you know, here's how much I have in contracts. Cause in commercial you're signing one or two year contracts. Right, right, right. So number one, you're taking out a competitor. And if you don't buy me, 
your competitor will. So there were all kind of these reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and did you, like, I mean, were your employees contractors at the time? Did that matter? Like eh, somewhere, yeah, that does. I mean, they yeah. need work. So that, that was, it was more about the contracts. Yeah. Um, customers didn't have to transfer them, you know, like there were, there were technicalities that we could have run into trouble on that I hadn't thought about, Right. but it was just kind of, you know, so then now we had about $400,000 and the building was a million. So, uh, went and met with the owner of the building and I offered him 300,000 and, uh, uh, which my partner wasn't in agreement with. But anyways, uh, I wrote the gentleman, because he, he had started that toy world. He had started himself. He was an older gentleman at the time and uh, wrote him a letter kind of about, you know, in terms of where I came from and what I was trying to do with my life and told him I didn't have the money. He was asking a million. I was offering was 320000 I think. And uh, don't know why, but he ended up selling it to us for $320,000. A million dollar listing. He sold yeah. it to you guys for $320,000. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. So now we had a building that we could buy more like scaffolding. No stipulations, just straight no, up. No, no, it was yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, it's just like, why does somebody anyway? So, but I'd written him a long letter. You know, he's just a very nice man, and I think he kind of saw maybe maybe he had come from something similar. So maybe he was giving somebody else a chance. Sure, yeah, yeah. And uh, that building would be worth probably four or five million today. Right. Uh, so then, yeah, so then we had, we were able to buy more lifts. Then there was an opportunity to pick up a Bobcat dealership. Uh, so I did that. Uh, so that, uh, that was a, a great business for us. Uh, then we had Hertz, which was the largest, they were owned by Ford at the time. And they, they were the largest equipment rental company. They're called Herc now, and they're not, no longer owned by Ford. Right. Um, they came knocking and wanted to buy us. Um, we had built the business, like we had gotten into the lift business and the Bobcat. And I think we had grown it kind of from about zero to six million in about 18 months, which was phenomenal. It's crazy. Yeah. So, um, and I was approaching my 30th birthday and it was my goal to become a millionaire by the time I was 30. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Hertz came anyways, uh, we ended up literally on my 30th birthday. I was in New York at their head office and we signed the deal to sell the company. So I had to drive by for my surprise birthday party that my wife had blend that night. Oh, so anyways, wow. it was just another odd thing, right? Like, how does that kind of happen? That's so crazy. Yeah. I so. mean, I mean, there's so many questions there, but, um, you know, I, I, the way you talk about it, it, it's, I think obviously, you know, we are looking in retrospect and oh, yeah. there's like, you know, yeah, oh yeah, Ballcat dealership <laughs> came up, no problem. Oh yeah, bought $320,000. Oh, I made a million, no, no big deal, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and I know it's sometimes hard to think back exactly to that, but I mean, I guess the first question is, what do you attribute your success to in those early days? Because I mean, to, to build a window washing business to the level where it would be bought for $400,000 and you're getting big contracts to the point where you're able to sell businesses and buy buildings and, you know, uh, you know, make a million money or 30. I mean, me and my friends always used to joke in high school being like, oh yeah, we'll get our first million by 20 years old. You yeah. know, and it's just like, it's, this is, this, you're somebody who, you, like you said, growing up, you didn't have a ton of money. You know, you started on 1200 bucks. And you actually achieve this kind of goal. But in those early days, I think a lot of people hear these kind of stories and they're like, I mean, how, how, how did that happen? Right. And so what, I mean, what do you, are there specific things that you attribute your success to, or is it kind of hard to think about what exactly, you know, gave you the success that you, you experienced? Um, you know, I think if you grow up with not a lot and you don't have a formal education, there kind of is no plan B. Right. So I think when you operate without a plan B, you operate with a lot of urgency. And I think that's probably, you know, that's, I think the best way I can explain it. Right. So Just, it's not, I'm not, I'm not motivated by earning a lot of money. Like I really, you know, money doesn't, doesn't really mean much to me. So it's, but it, it, it does provide, you know, you need money to do more. So right, right. in terms of business. So at, at 30 years old, this stuff happens. Um, I mean, how are you feeling at that time? I mean, are, are you, it was pretty cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I know you strike me as somebody who just go, go, go. And it's just like, okay, we've done that. Now we got to go to the next thing. But do you, do you take some time to reflect on, on your success? Because it, it's not something that I think everyone experiences. Yeah. You know, I think it's funny. So you're 30 years old and we got a lot of money at that time. And it's probably the only time in my life where I kind of froze as an entrepreneur. So now you're, you no longer have nothing. Now you have something to lose. Right. Uh, so you end up trying to protect it. 
in term instead of trying to uh, you know you're kind of on defense instead of on offense right 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 uh, so I can remember you know we we bought a, a house uh, that I wanted to buy you know since I, I was young that was another goal I had so we bought that uh, had four kids so we decided let's have another one I, I basically took a year off um, I did day trading so I wanted to learn how to do that oh, um, okay. yeah so how'd that uh, go uh, you know what uh, at the end I think I ended up uh, like about even. Okay. <laughs> so I had some really, really good days, some really, really bad days. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, it was a, it was an awesome lesson. Uh, at the end of it, I said, I'm never going to buy stock again in my life. I'm going to just invest in myself because that's something I can have a little more control over. Sure. So I've never, never bought any stock since. Okay. Well. And uh, literally just, just invest really in myself. Great. Great. Yeah. Okay. We're here talking with Steve Cody. We're going to take a short break to do some unpaid advertisements, but we'll be right back. And now for a segment called Unpaid Advertisements. If you don't know what the deal is, listen to past episodes and you'll know what the deal is. All right. If you are somebody who wears glasses, Steve, you wear glasses. Yeah. I I don't know if you've ever run into this, but one of the most annoying things I find in my life as a glasses wearer, I mean, there are a lot of things. When I break dance, I don't like having my glasses on. (laughs) And when I take my glasses off to break dance, I can't see a thing. That is not the most annoying thing. The most annoying thing is, you know, me and my wife will sit down to watch a movie or we'll watch Game of Thrones or Westworld or something like that. We'll sit down and watch, turn off the lights, you know, and I'm I'm somebody who really likes to, to invest in my tech. So I want a nice, gorgeous TV and all this stuff. I sit down and there are smudges on my glasses. That sucks. It annoys a... I don't know. I guess I can say hell. People swear on this podcast. So annoys the hell out of me. I go to a theater. Same thing. Just it's really, really annoying for, for people out there who are not glasses wearers. You have no idea how annoying it is when you have smudges on your glasses. You see lots of reflections and it was annoying. And then I would start to rub my glasses with my shirt. I'd wash them and I would rub them with, you know, a towel and all this stuff. And then, you know, years later, the coating would come off your glasses and then you'd get, you know, the third degree from lens crafters saying, oh, you shouldn't rub your glasses with anything, but you know, all this stuff. Well, over the last year, I found an awesome, awesome solution. They are called Optico Professional Cleaning Wipes. These are amazing little alcohol wipes. They come nice. in a little packet. You can buy them at Costco. You can buy them at Amazon. Uh, you know, check them out. Optico Professional, Optico, O-P-T-I-C-O, Professional Cleaning Wipes. Uh, you know, when I go to Costco, I usually buy three boxes of 44 each. Just have them on me all the time. In fact, I think... <laughs> I literally have one in my pocket right now. I literally have one in my pocket right now. Uh, optical cleaning wipes. You can use them for your glass. You can use them for your laptops, for your tablets, all this stuff. They make your glasses so nice and clean. It's really great. Check them out. Optico Professional Cleaning Wipes. O-P-T-I-C-O dot C-A is the website. But if you go to Costco in Canada, you can find them. I'm probably sure in the States. Uh, you can buy them on Amazon as well. That's Optico Professional Cleaning Wipes. Nice. Steve. Have you ever been to an escape room? I have not. But oh. you know what? I am owed one because that was given to me for my birthday. Oh, okay. Yes. Do you know which <laughs> brand or, or like which room you've, you've gotten up? I have no clue. <laughs> so I am going. Well, last yeah. last episode, we talked about the Diefen Bunker. You can actually go to the Diefen Bunker and they have an escape room set up on the second floor. Have you ever been to the Diefen Bunker? Yeah, we've done events there. So yeah. there's been weddings and yeah, with Cody Party. There you go. There you go. So um, they've actually opened an escape room there. It's pretty crazy. Like basically you get an entire floor of the Diefen wow. Bunker escape room. Because usually escape rooms are like in the size of the room that we're in right now. Um, so very, very cool. Escape rooms are becoming such a big deal and it's it's great, you know, great to go out, have a, a great time there. But sometimes you just want the comfort of your home while playing an escape room. Well, now you can. You can take home the fun of an escape room uh, with these uh, escape room board games. You can bring them home. Uh, there's a bunch of brands that I play, um, but I'm going to plug one today, which is called Unlock. So Unlock, unfortunately, they don't actually have a, a website, uh, which is really rare these days, but they don't have a website. Uh, but if you check out on Amazon, uh, if you're in the Ottawa area, you can go to Mrs. Tiggy Winkles. They sell them there. Um, but yeah, Unlock, uh, it's, it's basically like an escape room that you play via cards. Like you have these cards and they have clues on them and pictures on them and trying to solve things. And the great thing about these games is that no, no, none of them are alike. You know, you play one and one will have you cutting up stuff and one will have you folding stuff and one will have you, you know, 
putting stuff in the in the dark and seeing stuff glow in the dark and all this stuff. Really, really cool stuff. Uh, you know, uh, me, uh, my wife, and my friends, we've all gotten very addicted to these. Um, but check it out. Unlock Escape Rooms. Uh, you get, Again, you can get it at Mr. Tiggy Winkle's Amazon. And I'll plug Toys on Fire. It's this great uh, board mm. game. Uh, have you been there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Barhaven. Yeah, Barhaven, exactly. Yeah. Great board game shop. Uh, they specialize in board games. They carry a lot of these as well. So check it out. Unlock. And we are back here talking with Steve Cody, a prolific entrepreneur here in Ottawa uh, who didn't know the word entrepreneur when he started his thing. Um, so he was doing uh, lots of amazing things. And we're talking a lot about what it was like in the early days uh, and what he attributes a lot of his success to. And it's it's really great to, to learn about this stuff. Steve, at some point uh, in your life, I don't know how old you were at that time, but you decide that you want to get into the software game. Yep. So uh, I've, I've heard the story a little bit, but maybe just to hear it again, what exactly drove you to the software game? Uh, so as we were building out, well, I, I guess it starts off with a trip to Florida with our kids. So I talked about that earlier. We do that every year. And this one year uh, I was, I found this uh, audio book called E-Myth. And uh, so we put this audio book in and it was fascinating because as an entrepreneur, um, you know, uh, any entrepreneur has to read this book, um, or if you're married to an entrepreneur, cause you'll understand an entrepreneur and just, you know, this, this audio book talked about, you know, a business needing a process and, you know, there's managers, there's technicians, there's entrepreneurs and just went kind of through a really nice story. And I played it over and over and I mean, it was driving the kids crazy, <laughs> but that kind of got me thinking, look, I need process. And, uh, probably the best way to create process was to, to, to have software. So right. I, so at that, at that time, like, uh, were you not like, uh, were you not process driven or would like yeah, record keeping that kind of stuff? It was, I mean, depending on the company, but when you're any company is start. So at this time we had, it was Cody party. Uh, we had bought different software applications and spent fortunes doing it and they never really worked for us. Right. Uh, and we had a couple of different businesses going at the time. So being in retail, being in services, so you couldn't really buy anything off the shelf. Right. So kind of knew I'd have to make something. I mean, what was it about though? I mean, it's just an interesting lesson for software developers. I mean, what was it about that software that wasn't working? I mean, you're, you're clearly at the time you were in the demographic that I think a lot of software companies are targeting like SMB kind of style, right? You know, at the time, do you think there's something that is just lacking in software today that, you know, companies like yours wouldn't use it really, or it wasn't working out? I mean, it wasn't software back then wasn't as sophisticated right. as it is today. So now it's almost commoditized in a lot of ways, right, but right. back then it was, you know, like, what is it? What does it do? Oh, is that ever, you know what I mean? Just basic things now. So, right. uh, but it didn't do, you know, you couldn't get a rental software package that would also help you manage labor, that would also help you manage mid-max on inventory, uh, you know, reordering for Halloween, you know, just a whole bunch of different things. So, yeah, yeah. so we ended up, I ended up meeting this guy named John and I told him what I wanted and, you know, he, uh, he started building the software. So we did, we did that for about eight years. Did you approach him or did you like? Yeah, yeah, I approached Yeah, yeah and I didn't know him. Um, he was doing some web work and I told him what I wanted and we laugh about it now, but he told me, oh yeah, no problem, but he had no clue what he was doing. So, <laughs> so but I mean, I thought the guy was a genius, you know, yeah. just the fact that I could kind of tell him something I wanted and he could kind of make it appear on a screen. I'm like, holy smokes, this I'm, is amazing. I'm curious your vision that you had when you were listening to this E-Myth book and, and the kind of answer came to you. Did you have a pretty concrete vision of what you wanted. Oh yeah. 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 That, you know, you want to be able to assign, you know, you want to have roles and then be able to assign people to roles and give tasks to roles. Yeah. And then, you know, when somebody opens a store, they have a task, a right. bunch of, like a task list, right. right. And somebody who closes a store has a task list. So if you do that every day, you know, things start to work out pretty good. Did you, I mean, were you yourself kind of a software user at that no, point? No, 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 I, no, I had no clue. But I just, again, that's why John to me was a genius because I could just kind of give him my ideas right. and he could, you know, put them on a screen. How did you so, find him? I was a friend through a friend. Yeah. I, yeah. So it was just, and, and we ended up becoming friends out of it and everything. And uh, so we, uh, so as we built out these different businesses, so, you know, Monster Halloween, Cody Party, then we started Cody Mobile, uh, started Cody Mobile in, 
so Monster Halloween was right across the country. We had about 26 locations. There were temporary Halloween store. Cody Party, I think we grew at uh, 12 franchise locations across Canada. Wow. And then we had started Cody Mobile. That was like, uh, that really started, a big part of it was my wife would have, was always mad because the car was never clean enough. And she'd <laughs> always say like, you have to bring it in and get it detailed. And uh, like, you know, it's just for me, I don't have time to, you know, bring the car in, have somebody yeah, pick totally. the alley is a real pain. So I deal I said, with that a lot now. You do you? Yeah. Well, I got a solution. <laughs> <laughs> so I really should legitimately call you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I started a mobile auto detailing business. Okay, so it's okay. called Cody Mobile. Yeah, yeah. Actually, the, the guy was here last week. He did about seven cars, Brian. He does a really good job. Okay, he yeah, yeah, comes yeah. right to the office. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, so that's, uh, so I told, cause my wife was on me when we were having a barbecue and Again, about cars, I said, like, forget it. I, I'm, I know how to solve the problem. I'm just going to start a, a mobile auto detailing business. <laughs> then the van's going to come to our place. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so we turned it into a franchise. Actually, really good. And uh, so that started January 2013. And then June 2013, uh, our son passed away. And uh, so we had the three companies on the go. And uh, I ended up in bed for about nine months, uh, could literally kind of only get out of bed either to have a hot bath or to go for a long walk. So uh, during that time, everything that we had built up, uh, you know, as entrepreneurs, we basically lost it. Um, uh, everything kind of fell apart. We had to have, we had to fire sale all three companies just to save jobs and to, you know, people had bought franchises. So yeah. to try and do what was right. And uh, so we ended up selling all the, the three, the three different companies um, and then, uh, I mean, we're, I don't know, we're, we're probably about like about a million and a half in debt through all this. So, you know, it's then kind of, what do you do? Um, but as an entrepreneur, you kind of, you, you got to shake it off and you got to solve the problem. Uh, so all I had left was the software. Um, and so, uh, so I said, and people had asked to buy the software previously, so I said, okay, well, I'm going to start a software company. And I remember like my kids are like, are you kidding? Cause I know nothing about software. Yeah, and, yeah. uh, so anyways, I, I incorporated the company August, 2014, uh, called the better software company and, um, had no clue what to do. And by then John had left as well. So I don't even have a developer, but I got software. So, uh, figure out a way to make it work. We were in bed, uh, my wife and I were in bed one night and she saw a tweet on this thing called uh, this accelerator program, LSPARC. I had no, word, no idea what an accelerator was or LSPARC, uh, but we kind of read through it and it said, you know, they were taking applications for technology, entrepreneurs or opportunities where you could, uh, they would take all these applications and then they would select, I think, up to 10 companies and you would you would be put into this nine month program that would help you build your technology business. And, you know, I saw Terry Matthews on the list. So he was an idol growing up. We cleaned his windows and, you know, you know, anyway, so that was, I said, well, that's kind of cool. And uh, so we said, well, we let's apply for that. And uh, so you had to send in a, uh, like a slide presentation. I'd never done a slide presentation before. So whatever we sent was like brutal. <laughs> and, uh, and I can remember, I think it was two days before they were, so the whole idea was they'd get all these applications. I think they were going to pick 20 and the 20 app, you know, you would pitch to a group of about 30 people in a room and then they would pick the finalists. And right. it was the first time they, they did this uh, cohort. Uh, so about two days before presentations, I got a email again, it was at night while I was in bed from a guy named Marco. And he said, you know, unfortunately, uh, you, you know, you didn't make it in, but you know, look forward to you trying in the future. And I emailed him back. I said, Hey, Marco, I think you made a mistake. Can I come in and see you? And, uh, he said, okay. Yeah. He says, well, come on in tomorrow because we're doing the presentations. I think it was the following day. And, uh, so we set up a time uh, to meet and, uh, and I remember so in the morning head out to Canada and, uh, got out of the car. And as I got out of the car, you kind of by habit, check your phone. So look at my emails. I got an email from Marco and he says, Steve, I'm sorry. I got to cancel the meeting. Um, something else had come up. I don't remember what it was. And uh, so anyways, like for me, that was a pretty big deal, right? Because uh, this was kind of my shot. Um, so I looked up his picture on LinkedIn and then I uh, went into the building and I started looking for Marco. And uh, I remember seeing Marco and I, hey, Marco. And so he wasn't busy. I don't know. Anyway, so uh, 
Uh, so, uh, we, we, he said, well, come on in. And we started talking and I started explaining and, uh, probably within about five minutes or so, he said, you know, he says, well, he says, I think maybe we have a cancellation for the presentations. He said, let me go check. So and then he came, you know, he left the room and he came back. He says, yeah, he says, I think we can fit you in and you can present tomorrow. So, okay, well, what do you mean present? And he said, well, you're going to be in front of a group of 30 people and you got to, you know, you're going to have a slide and you got to present. I said, well, Marco, I said, like a couple of problems. Number one is I've never presented to anybody in my life. And number two, I have no idea how to put a slide together. That's obvious because, you know, you turned me down. Um, so he was he was really good about it. So he said, well, let, let me see if I can help. So they ended up uh, getting a mentor. So his name was Lori Davis. And uh, Lori worked on the, the slide. Uh, he helped me practice pitching, the whole thing. And, you know, at the time, Lori's biggest concern was Steve, like, you're not a tech guy, so they probably won't pick you. I'm like, okay, well, I, yeah, I, I got to try. So anyway, so went into the room to present. First thing I told everybody, I'm not a tech guy, but I can definitely sell. And uh, kind of went through the presentation and, uh, you know, um, uh, went home. We ordered Chinese food. And while we were eating Chinese food, we got a phone call from Marco. And there were other people in the room. And I was on. it was on hands-free. And... They said, congratulations, two people made it into the program and you're one of the two. So that was kind of, that was, uh, yeah. That's crazy. I mean, I've heard a version of that story. You, yeah. you told it, but I didn't realize the whole thing about you, you going through the office trying to find Marco. Yeah, yeah. And that's, <laughs> it's it's a testament to persistence. Yeah, um, well, again, no plan B. <laughs> so, <laughs> But I mean, it's, it's so true. It's, it's, it's a little bit full circle in the way you talk about why you got into it in the first place. It's just like you, you had sold all the businesses and you had nothing and, and there was no plan B and you really had to, it was almost like, you know, like you talked about, you know, when you're 30 and you had something to protect, you kind of went into defensive mode. It's almost like, you know, uh, you know, those nine months and everything that happened that it kind of brought you back to a point where you had no plan B and you're forced into it. Right? Yeah. And it seems like, you know, it's almost like you do your best when you're forced into those situations where you just got to pull everything in. right? No doubt about it. But, you know, the other thing, too, Steve, is I think a, a lot of people, even if they're in that situation, you know, I think the guts to still put it all in and, and, and kind of execute on it, you know, is not, not always there. Right. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy to hear that story of persistence and then it kind of leads you on this road of where you are now, right now, now you've been in the software game for what, five, six years now. Uh, well, we're going to be going on our fifth. Yeah. Right? So yeah. So the fourth year, so we started, uh, you know, even better software that was not, you know, that was a, uh, an interesting ride you know, right. in terms of where, where we've ended up here today. So, yeah. And it's interesting. Cause I mean, you, you talked about organic starts in the past, um, you know, like you, you needed, you know, you needed scaffolding or you needed whatever. So you started businesses around it. Um, was Ruckify the same kind of story? I mean, why, why I remember when you started advertising Ruckify, like on LinkedIn and stuff, I was like, didn't, didn't Steve just start the better software company? Yeah. Like, so, I mean, what was it that, that, I mean, was it that, you know, better software had its own two feet now and you wanted your next project or what was it that, that made you want to start Ruckify? Uh, well, I think Ruckify was early on when I had started better is when, uh, you know, we, we had a storm come through the neighborhood. We had a tree fall down out front of the house Bruce was out cutting it with the uh, chainsaw. And then, you know, he's saying, Steve, I don't have a big enough blade on the chainsaw. And him and I both thought, man, we should have an app to know if our neighbors have a bigger chainsaw. So that he was starting to build canopy growth at that time. Right, right, and right. I was building better, uh, you know, but having done quite a bit in rentals, that always really stayed with me. But I knew doing better because, I mean, this was brand, tech was brand new. I had to be 100% focused on building better software. So, you know, anytime I thought about Ruckify, I had to forget about it. Um, so we, you know, we raised about 9.8 million total, uh, building better that was over, I think about two and a half years, uh, through that process, that was my first time really raising money. Uh, typically we would bootstrap or get money from banks. So, you know, you raise money, you raise money from venture capitalists, um, you end up with a board pretty much of venture capitalists. Um, and you know, it's a good lesson learned. And, uh, I mean, they have, the VCs have a different, they just need a different outcome and they have a different playbook. And, uh, and I think I, I wasn't aware enough of that at the time. Don't know if I would have changed anything really, uh, cause I learned a lot along the way. 
Um, but ended up being where, you know, uh, our lead investor, you know, wouldn't allow me to, uh, make key personnel changes, um, that, I, that I felt we needed to make to, cause to, I, I grew up caring about, you know, number one, you care about the employees yeah. and number two, you care about the customers. And, uh, I really found that I couldn't do either. Um, so it was kind of a mutual thing. You know, you could say I was fired or I could say, you know, I was let go. Sure. But kind of mutual at the end of the day. I left the company it was, uh, June, 2017. Right. Uh, so I ended up leaving. And, uh, so they promoted the CTO at the time they made him CEO and, uh, they were going to carry on the, 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 the company. And, uh, I was ready to, I gave up my board seats and I was actually going to give my shares to charity at the time. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Just, you know, I, and I was ready. I, my wife and I went out for dinner that the night, uh, we had made this, uh, this move and that's the night I said, Hey, I'm starting Rockify. Okay. So literally, you know, I kind of left one thing and, and opened another door the same day. You so, but so the idea was kind of germinating before this. Yeah. But then this was kind of a little bit of a trigger or catalyst. Yeah. Say. You're in another situation where I got to do something, right? right. So, uh, so anyway, so, uh, so with, uh, so I started uh, with Bruce. We started Rockify. Um, and really starting it from a lot of lessons, I did learn a lot about technology. Uh, you know, technology takes time to build a good product. It takes a lot of resources. Uh, as an entrepreneur, you have to make sure if you're taking outside money, that it's from people that are supportive of you, especially early on, because it takes you time to figure things out. You know, you can't, you can't give crazy projections and then be held to them. You can talk about trick crazy projections and how to get there. So it was a lot about the quality of the investors we'd bring in and, uh, you know, um, uh, and I talked to the VCs that had been in and, you know, I, I understood where they were coming from. They weren't not bad. They're not evil people. They're not no, bad no, no, people. No, yeah, yeah. They just, it's just, they need a different outcome and it probably should be clear on both sides ahead of time. But anyways, uh, so we started Recify, uh, and then eight months later, we ended up actually buying better software back, <laughs> uh, which was as an entrepreneur, uh, you know, and it was, it was, it was crazy. Uh, they called me up and, uh, the CEO no longer wanted to be CEO. And, uh, so he just kind of jumped ship. And, uh, so now they were kind of screwed. And, uh, so like, do you want to buy it back? And kind of went back and forth on the whole process. And again, it's just, you know, people do things for different reasons. But if you think of a company that was worth $9.8 million, Bruce and I bought it back. My credit card was max. So I had to use his, so it was 5,000 bucks. We bought it back for 5,000 bucks. 5,000 bucks on Bruce's credit card. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's so, crazy. You know what I, so, yeah, like, think about the party <laughs> as an entrepreneur. Not, not only, like, you win against Goliath, you end up with your baby back for basically nothing. It's like the, it's like the exaggerated version of when you bought that million dollar space for 320,000. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, so, yeah, and... Uh, we so technically Ruckify actually bought better, and uh, Bruce justified Bruce and I kind of justified it for for two reasons is for buying better back. Uh, one was kind of a we wanted to prove to everybody that you know this could actually be a terrific business being uh, being allowed to build it the right way. Yeah. Uh, and number two was when I had left better and our better software customers started seeing me advertise Rockify. They were all getting hold of me and saying, Steve, when is this thing going to be ready? Because maybe they were a window washer and they're saying, I got ladders. I want to rent. I got a boom. I want to rent. Like when's this thing ready? So we said like, that's built in. We've got thousands of users. So that's built in distribution for Rockify. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, those were kind of the, the, the two reasons that we, we bought the company back. Uh, at that time, the way the it had been dragged out, better was down to one employee. Wow! So it was just Brad literally running everything. This is crazy. I, I had no idea. Oh about yeah, this. Like, yeah. It was down that. to and you know I talked to all the customers. I was honest throughout because they were calling me like, "What's going on?" So I was honest, very honest. But we never lost one customer. Still haven't. Wow. Uh, so when we bought it back, we said, "You know what? Uh, the, the decisions building the product were not good. They didn't favor the customer." Uh, so we said, let's take a year. We're not going to sell any product. We're just going to take the year. We're going to hire some really good developers. We brought on the CTO of the guy that Graham that built Corel. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, we brought on some really good people. A lot of our original developers came back, um, which was amazing. 
And uh, so we took a year to, to really work on the product, build it. Uh, this March, we started trying to sell again, and now we're just adding a marketing team. So it's rebuilding. We've uh, almost doubled sales uh, since when we bought it, and uh, and we weren't even trying to sell. So now we're, we feel we're in a really good spot to, to build it. So, so you really, you still very much believed in better software even after you left? Like, Oh, no doubt about it. But it, it, I, I, I couldn't believe in it the way it w- I was told to run it. Sure. Like, it, would not, it was not working. Was there any hesitation when you bought it back uh, about you operating as CEO? I mean, there's one thing to buy it back, but then you, you know, plant yourself as CEO of better software, just the natural move? Well, yeah, Bruce and I are partners. I mean, we could have probably maximized more value um, having two separate corporations with two separate groups of shareholders. But we said, you know what, let's be really fair to our, let's kind of give it to our existing shareholders, give them the upside. Uh, And then we're not like, you know, counting expenses for this company, that company, my efforts would be, you know, kind of spent where they needed to be spent. And uh, now we've devised a really good plan where the two companies actually come together in a, in a very powerful way uh, early next year. It's great. I mean, it, it almost sounds like, um, you know, when you had originally started building better software and, and you got into the LSPARC program and, and the whole ride that that took you on, it was almost like your first foray into it and, and you're kind of there learning and absorbing and, you know, figuring out what, you know, the software game looks like, the startup game, the investment game, all that stuff. But it sounds like now on the other side of it, it's it's like you've learned from that, yeah. but now you're starting to inject your own actual philosophies and your own principles and how to actually do this. And it seems yeah. like it's kind of working out for you. Yeah, I think, I think you know, if you look back, um, what I ended up having to do was compromise a lot. Uh, so you're compromising on who's working for you, you know, just everything, you know, on, on what the product does or uh, anyways. I think the more you compromise the more you start giving away your future. And so this time really put, I've got, I mean, I've got, so Bruce's were, were partners uh, in every sense of the word. Um, and, uh, you know, we're both very supportive. We both bring different uh, skill sets. He brings, I mean, he's probably the best, one of the best fundraisers in North America, um, you know, and, and I can really build businesses, operate businesses, understand the businesses that we're building. So I think the two of us together, um, and both being entrepreneurs. So knowing that the journey isn't a straight line, you know, it's not, you know, so there's going to be bumps or you've got to have workarounds. But what I think at the end of the day, what it means is you're just not compromising or very little. And I'll tell you, when you don't compromise, you can really, you can execute really, really well. Like it's, 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 it sounds so simple. Don't compromise, but it's actually, if you're, put yourself in a position of not having to compromise. I think your, your opportunity for success, nothing's ever guaranteed, but I think it's much higher. I mean, you're right. It is a very simple concept where you think that if you're compromising, you're naturally doing something that's against what you're good at. Right. I mean, you're, you're asked to or do belief. things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, it's very interesting to hear about actually your, your partnership with Bruce too. Cause I, I, I hadn't realized how close you guys were in building a lot of this stuff as well. I mean, and it's, it's interesting to think about, you know, what's happened with canopy growth, you know, uh, and his exit there. And like, you know, you kind of went through an exit, you know, with better software. I mean, not exit in terms of selling, but obviously like leaving the company, you know, I feel like there's obviously a lot that you guys can, you know, uh, bounce off each other and rely on each other. And, and you're probably in a group of people where um, there's not a lot of peers in, in terms of like the level that you guys are at, the types of businesses that you're running or whatever, right? So, I mean, do you feel that kind of like the relationship you have with Bruce is a pretty unique relationship? Well, I, yeah, I think Bruce is a pretty unique guy. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, he drives a Ford Flex. Um, he goes to Value Village, like open houses. Uh, you know, so he's another like money. He does like, you need money to play the game. Sure. Right. And it get, moves things ahead, but it's not, he doesn't do it for that reason. It's more the fun of the, the game. And I, I think I'm, I'm very much the same way. Um, so I think we don't take things too seriously. We know we're going to, there's going to be mistakes that are made either by us or people that work with us. Um, so we both really just want to have fun doing it. So it's, and we want to win, like we want to win at all. Like we just, and we don't want to just win in Ottawa. We want to win a, no different than Canopy. We want to win around the world. Steve, um, we're kind of coming to a close here, but I want to finish with two questions um, that have kind of been uh, kind of circling in my mind as we've been talking. Um, you know, I think there, there's a lot of people out there with a lot of great ideas. And I think there's a lot of opportunity out there and there's a lot of, 
times where you're, like you said, like you're, you know, you know, you're, you're looking for a chainsaw or you're sitting by a barbecue with your family or whatever. And all these ideas, there's so many times where people are like, you know, why isn't there an app for that? Or why isn't there an idea for that? All right. And, and, and all these opportunities are in front of us. Um, but so many of us have trouble actually capitalizing on them or executing them. Right. What, what is it, that you think it is about you or who you are or what you do or what your philosophy is that has actually allowed you to see these ideas and actually see them through? Because I don't think that is a common thing. Yeah. I mean, I don't like any of the, any of the companies we've started are pretty simple, like, you know, simple in their form, right? You're just, you, you kind of know that somebody's going to pay you money for whatever service you're thinking of. So, um, I, you know, I think for, if, if I think of Ruckify, I remember one day I had four different people say to me, I had that idea, but they never did anything about it, you know? So uh, an idea is nice. Uh, I think taking action is a whole different thing. And I, I don't know, uh, I, I find it sad, actually. Like I feel badly for people that, you know, carry these ideas, but I never actually do anything with it. And I mean, I can't, I can't explain why I'm comfortable doing it and somebody else may not be. Uh, but at the same time, you want to kind of be comfortable doing it. Right. So, you know. That's. And then the other thing, Steve, is that, uh, and we've touched a little bit on this throughout the interview, but you, you've you talked a lot about now that it's, it's not really about the money. You know, it's not, you're not a money driven guy. I mean, yes, you obviously have goals and, and money can represent those goals. Um what is it then that drives you to do what you do? I mean, you, you are a tireless worker. I mean, you, I mean, I'm, we're definitely very opposite entrepreneurs. <laughs> I'm definitely the kind of guy who's like, how can I reduce my work today? And, oh, yeah. and you seem like the, the guy is like, you know, what? we're going to hustle. We're going to, we're going to work 25 hours a day. Yeah. You know, we're going to push the limits and we're going to do what it takes uh, to do it. Um, but I'm, I'm curious at the end of the day, at the, at the end of the day, cause I see a lot of your LinkedIn posts too about, not doing that about enjoying, you know, your family life and the moments and all this stuff. And, and it just seems like, you know, maybe it's a complex answer, but what is it that really drives you to do what you do? Because what you do is not easy, right? Well, number one is people talk about work-life balance. So I think that's a crazy thing to try and uh, achieve. So to me, it's more about work-life integration. Um, so, you know, that's, uh, and, and my wife, uh, she's accepted that and she lives it as well. Right. So, I mean, for, for me, entrepreneurship isn't a job, it's a lifestyle. Uh, you have to, whatever you're doing, it works like into your life. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't have, uh, I don't play golf. I don't, I don't do anything else but work. I mean, as much as somebody may enjoy golf, I enjoy working. Um, so that's, I'm, I'm fortunate or unfortunate. I don't know. It depends, I guess, where you're, you know, where you're sitting, but anyways, that's kind of the way it is for me. So I, I kind of, you know, I always say, you know, my retirement is going to be my funeral. So we're going to get a two for one. You know, I just, uh, I, I just, I, when I took the year off, when we sold to Hertz, uh, did the day trading, I literally got depressed by the end of that year. So, you know, it just, the mind has to be busy. I think you've got to be creating, and uh, I, I just, I don't ever want to be in a position where I'm not working. All right. Listen, Steve, um, you know, we, we met a little while back and, uh, you know, we would have casual conversations every now and then. And I, I really appreciate, you know, you taking the time to talk to me because there, there is a lot of um, people in your position who could treat it very differently, right? And, and, and not treat the people around them uh, and give them the time of day. I mean, even the fact that you're doing this podcast right now, I mean, you're running, you know, very big company, you're a very busy guy, and you decided to take an hour and a half to talk to me, which is really appreciative. And I don't know if you realize it or not, but even just little snippets of information uh, you would give me, you know, throughout our conversations at Elspark, I'd be like, huh, yeah, I never thought about it that way, right? Uh, so you definitely taught me a lot. And, I, and what I find very interesting- You, you taught me a lot. <laughs> I appreciate <So>. that. <laughs> uh, what I find very interesting, Steve, is that, and, and this podcast has revealed it even more, is that we, we grew up very differently. We had very different lives. And I think what what is is interesting about that is that I think it's led to us running our companies very differently. We're very different mindset 
um, the way we grow them, the way we run them or whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, what's, what I love about you is that you're, you're just a genuinely nice guy who I can talk, right? Despite mm-hmm. our, our differences and how we grew up and how we, you know, run our companies and all this stuff. Uh, I still very much enjoy talking to you and learning from you and hearing you talk. So very, very much appreciate, uh, you know, the relationship that we have. So feeling is very, very mutual. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Steve, do you have anything else you'd like to say before I kind of close this off? No, I think you did an amazing job. So thank you very much. Great conversation. Appreciate it, Steve. You know, congratulations on all your success with better software. Uh, I had no idea the rocky road that, you know, that, that that happened there. Uh, Everything that with Ruckify and, uh, you know, I want to concentrate on that, but I also want to commend you on all the work that you're doing in the opioid space too. I Mm -hmm. think that's very, very commendable. Um, You know, you're doing a lot for the community there. Uh, I haven't followed it very closely, but the little articles that I see here and there, I think it's very, very commendable. So thank you. Uh, thanks for everything that you've done. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've gone to Cody party rental and, and awesome. so it's very great. Uh, I'm, I'm sure, you know, a lot of, a lot of residents of Ottawa and beyond are very thankful uh, for everything that you've done. So thanks so much. Thank you. Thank Questions, you comments, or concerns, everybody, you can email me at casey.lee at gmail.com or send me a tweet at caseylee23. You can also visit our website at www.caseylee.com slash podcast. Casey Talks to People is currently hosted on Anchor FM and distributed to all your favorite platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, and more. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already and definitely leave a review if you can. You can even leave a voice message. Don't forget to check out the Here With Me cover by Meta Kazeki, Hallie Kinkhammer, Kyle Zen. It's a great track. But as for now, that's it for episode 17 on August 7th, 2019. Casey Stocks. No, Casey Talks (laughs) to Steve Cody. Uh, We hope you've enjoyed it, everybody. We will see you guys in the next one.